rest of you turn to Psalm 77, please. We're going to take a little bit of a, well, we've been taking a little bit of a break uh, from Hebrews here in July, but you'll see where our reading is going to end at the end of Psalm 77 is a, a little bit of a uh, shout out to, to Hebrews, how um, you know, Israel was led by Moses and Aaron, and the message to Hebrews, of course, has been how Jesus uh, is greater than all of the Old Testament leaders and types and uh, systems that were existing for people to relate to God. So in this case, we're going to be seeing how Jesus is a, a better shepherd to us, um, taking us through some, some strange places sometimes, as we'll see. Uh, we've been, actually about three, year, three, three weeks ago, we were looking at, uh, at this psalm, the first part of the psalm, because as Jesus reveals his new covenant to us, it's not uncommon for us to have episodes where we go, well, now wait a minute, if God's promised to be our God, um, and if he's promised that we're his people, what about the times when it, it, it would appear, based on circumstances, based on things going on in our lives, it might appear that he's fed up with me, <laughs> he's had enough of me, um, and, and everything, everything's hard, everything's painful, nothing compassionate, um, is he still my God, is he still, am I still his, uh, part of his people? These, these are well-worn questions. These are ancient questions. These are like the, the steps in that old house that are worn down, you know, they kind of, you can tell from generations who've gone up and down and up and down, you know, that, that flight of stairs. Uh, we're not the only ones who have asked these well-worn questions. Uh, and, and so I thought, well, let's look at the second half of Psalm 77 uh, today to see where do you go? Um, where, where, where do we go in our faith? Where do we go in our thinking uh, as we contemplate those difficult times uh, when the path seems hard? What is God doing in the, in the midst of that? So uh, we're going to look at verses 11 uh, to 20 in Psalm 77. So if you've got your place, let's stand in honor of God's word. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Lord, we pray that you would continue to lead us as your flock, that you would be our good shepherd, that we would trust you to lead to places that are good, that would lead to resurrection. And we pray. All right, so Psalm 77 is giving us this place to go when we're struggling with, you know, is, 
is God upholding his end of the covenant? Is he faithful? Is he caring? Is he compassionate? Uh, and so in the Old uh, Testament, their paradigm for God's deliverance and his faithfulness was the Red Sea. That's, that's what this is describing. Uh, Moses and, and all of God's people going through those parted waters of the Red Sea. Uh, on this side of, of Jesus and his new covenant, we look at the cross and that's God parting you know, the, the, the sea of judgment so that we could go through because of what Jesus has done. Uh, and so when we have these questions about, look, when everything is falling apart, everything is failing, we wonder, is God still there? And what Psalm 77 is telling us is that we need to remember that God's way is holy. Uh, we need to remember that there are times when God's way is through the sea. It's still a holy way. Um, even though it, it looks like death, and, and that as disciples and, and followers of Jesus, uh, that way that, that is through the sea is, is another way to describe that. That's really just the path of the cross. That's what we're talking about. How do we, how do we walk the path of the cross? What, is it, what does it mean for us to, to walk in that way? Um, so let's, let's go back to how God's way is holy. Uh, you know, we, we, we see that um, here in, in Psalm 77, and I love how the Bible's newisms, you know, and, and, and you see all over Scripture uh, the, the trees being beckoned to, to clap their hands, and, and we see Jesus saying that the rocks are going to cry out if, if we keep these kids silent. Um, and, and we just sang, right, how, how all of the moons and all of the stars and, and all the universe are being called on to, to sing, right? Singing stars, surprising one here. One that you don't really expect, uh, not that any of us would expect singing stars and clapping trees, but what we don't expect necessarily is for, in verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Um, how many times have you seen a lion like a kitten, get scared and startled and, and leap on all fours with the hair straight up on that lion's back and then turn tail and run for dear life. Never. <laughs> that doesn't happen because the lion is an apex predator and fears nothing and no one. Um, how many times have you, you know, pulled up your your Instagram or whatever, and seen that cool video of that great white shark turning tail and swimming away for dear life? Never, uh, because, you know, again, it's, it's an apex, and, and, and it's not afraid of anything. And that's what's so bizarre about this imagery, is the ocean is afraid of nothing. And if anything, we're afraid of the ocean. We tremble at the deep. But here, again, we're reminded that when the waters saw you, O God. When the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The, we're also told the earth trembles. The sea recognizes its maker, it, and, and, and its power bows before the greater power that, that fashioned it and formed it. And we read in Psalm 95, the depths of the earth, the heights and the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. He's the great God. He's the creator God. He's got all power, all authority, all majesty. He's holy. And the, the sea is recognizing its maker. The sea is recognizing. And this is so counterintuitive to us because we're so used to trembling uh, before the sea and, and before a storm. You know, both, both images that, that Psalm 77 is giving us of, 
of Israel standing before the Red Sea, um, afraid of what's going on, and, and lightning and thunder and you know, all, all craziness breaking loose as God's demonstrating his power, right? We're typically afraid of the sea. It's foreign to us. It's strange to us. I mean, it can be very enticing and, and very exotic and very beautiful. And uh, Kathy and I were very blessed. Uh, her dad uh, gave us a great gift. He, he took Kathy and me and her sister and her husband uh, to the British Virgin Islands a couple of weeks ago. And we got to do a ton of snorkeling. I don't know if you've ever been snorkeling before, but it's like swimming in an aquarium. It's so much fun. And you see all these beautiful fish and you got to stay away from you know, the fire coral. That's a bad thing. Don't do that. Um, and, and you want to stay away from other bad, bitey things um, that, that can hurt you and harm you. But most of all, it's kind of beautiful, and it's really fascinating. I, I, and I'm swimming over this coral, air, and, and I see a, a gap in the coral, and I'm looking down, and that looks strange, and I'm calling my brother-in-law over here, and I'm pointing down at that, and it was like a, it was a spiny lobster, um, uh, one of those lobsters without claws that are down in the tropics. And it was enormous. It was huge. and It was awesome. So I saw one of those. I got a scorching sunburn. It was awesome. My back looked like bubble wrap. Um, so there's just some perils you want to be mindful of as, as you're snorkeling and, and when you're in the ocean. But uh, we don't forget that the ocean is a place where we are, are guests. It's not our home. We don't belong there. We can't survive there unless we've got some hacks, you know, some tools to, to kind of navigate being underwater like a, a snorkel and a mask. And that works great if you're just kind of hanging out, cruising along the top, and occasionally you can dive down a little bit. But if, if you really want to get friendly with the inhabitants and really kind of stay for an extended visit, if you really want to go deep, apparatus, right? But the... the, the becomes, and, and you want to make sure you know what you're doing if, you've got a, a, if you're going to go scoop down. And then, and then if you want to go even deeper, you have to get into a submersible, which is not always a great idea either. So uh, I think our culture has gotten over, you know, all the rubbernecking with the, the, the submarine, the Titan, right? Um, this expedition down again to see the Titanic, what our obsession is with the Titanic, I don't quite understand. Uh, but these poor five souls, you know, that, that submersible became their unintentional um, tomb. The ocean is dangerous. The, the ocean is a, is, a, is a scary place. It's a risky place. Uh, there's, there's actually been, you know, before all the news about the Titan submersible, imploding. Uh, there had been stories and there had been other articles and news reports. Uh, one as recently as 2022, last year, uh, CBS News Sunday Morning did a feature uh, talking about going down the, to visit the Titanic through, with the Titan. And, and, and there was concern about the Titan, as I think most of us have probably heard already, you know, that, that it was this experimental vehicle that the, the owners of the Titan didn't actually have to get any certification at all uh, to make sure this thing was operating uh, properly because it operated in international waters. That sounds great, you know? No certification need, you have to sign a waiver if you're gonna... In this CBS News thing, they, they were talking about how you have to sign a waiver if you're gonna spend $250,000 
to go down and visit the Titanic up close and, and personal, you have to sign a waiver recognizing that this vessel is experimental and has not been a injury, disability, emotional trauma, or death. And in fact, the waiver mentions death three times just on page one alone. Uh, the, the deep, the sea, has always been a dangerous place to be. Uh, in, in the Bible, it's recognized again and again as a, as a place of chaos, a, a place of threat, a place of, of death. You, you only have to turn to the second verse in the entire Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, to read uh, about how the Spirit of God was hovering over uh, the, this earth that was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The deep is portrayed as this you know, place that needs to be tamed, that God has to bring order and control over what is otherwise you know, um, chaotic. Uh, you can read in Isaiah 27 how the, the sea is the home of, of sea monsters, you know, of, of dangerous things, of Leviathan and the dragon. And in that day, the Lord, uh, with his hard and, and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea, right? This place of threat, this place of, of danger. And let's not just, you know, forget to acknowledge what's obvious, is that it's a graveyard for those who fall in. Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, these, these men who were, were hardened fishermen, career fishermen, who know a thing or two about boats and who know a thing or two about the Sea of Galilee, and they're scared to death because of the ferocity of this storm that's come down um, from the mountains onto the Sea of Galilee, and they're in a panic, and they're, they're, they're shaking Jesus, get up, wake up, don't you care that we're all about to drown, right? I mean, these are tough as nails sailors, and they're scared to death because they know what happens when you fall in. And then there's another episode where Jesus... The wind and the waves stop, and everybody on the boat's just looking at each other going, who is this? The wind and the waves obey him. We don't have a category for this person. So, this holy God who created the sea and everything in it and calls everything to praise him um, his way is, is holy. He knows what he's doing. Everything in existence bows down before him. Um, not everybody willingly yet, but uh, eventually everything will bow down to him. And we learn not only is his way holy, but his way is through the sea. Um, you can go to a lot of different places in the Bible to, to get uh, accounts, reflections, recollections of the Red Sea because like I said, the Old Testament saints looked back on that act the same way we sort of look back on the cross. Uh, it's this pinnacle episode of God's deliverance, his salvation for his people. So one of the places you could look at is in the prophet Nehemiah. And in chapter 9, um, God, uh, Nehemiah is reflecting on, on how God had delivered his people. And he says, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. This, this cry to God to deliver them because Pharaoh's army is chasing them, coming down after them, and they're going to die at, the, at, an, at an Egyptian sword, and they're pinned up against the edge of the Red Sea. 
and they don't know what to do. And God performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day, and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. Go. So there's this, this, this cloud that is a representation of God's presence with his people. And every time it moved, the people would follow the cloud. And that cloud would lead them in the way that they should go. And when we look at Psalm 77, you can look at verse 19. What does it say was the way that the cloud led them? Your way was through the sea. Your path through the the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And and so here is Israel standing on the the shore of the Red Sea, and God's way (laughs) leads them right through that body of water. And Exodus describes how they went through a canyon of water with the water piled up on one side and the other. And, and, and they're going, what are we supposed to do? We're we supposed to walk through that, Moses? Are you sure? Would, would you go through that? Would you walk through a valley of water? No way, right? Ain't no way I'm going through that because that what's going to happen? I'm going to get in the middle of that and the, and the, the walls of water are going to come crashing down and it's going to drown all of us, right? Isn't that what you'd be thinking? I know I would. We'd run the other way. But you can't. To run the other way is to run right into Pharaoh's army. Certain death. But to take the path through the sea feels like death. And you don't know. And you have to trust God. You have to trust that he's going to lead you. He's going to trust that he's, he's provided this way. God's way talks about our good shepherd who leads us beside still waters and makes us lie down on green pastures. And frequently, God's way is beautiful and restorative and you know, restful. That's great. But Psalm 23 goes on to say, you know, not only that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, but then it says, even though I walk through the valley. So what, what happened to David in Psalm 23? Did God stop leading him after the, the, the still waters and the green pastures? Did, did David rebel somehow and end up in the valley of the shadow of death? Did he just wander off into the weeds and stop following his good shepherd? No, he didn't. Because you're, you are with me, your rod and your staff, they come. God is with David in the valley of the shadow of death. And, and it would certainly seem, if you're reading it at face value, that that is exactly where David's good shepherd led him. Into the valley of the shadow of death. Because that's exactly where God, the good shepherd, led Israel. Into the, 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 the way through the sea. This, this valley that I'm sure felt like death to everybody who was, who was having to follow God through that path. So, um, you know, here we are, several millennia removed from the Red Sea, but I think it's still pertinent for us to be asking ourselves, what 
path is God leading us through that feels like death? Where is he calling us to go and take the way of the sea, right? So it feels like death to some of us, right? Um, to some of you, it feels like death to let your, your friends or, or other family members pick what music you're going to listen to in the car or what movie everybody's going to watch or what restaurant to go to. Like You make those decisions, right? It feels like death to... Because inwardly, you sort of know, you, you, you kind of believe that you know what's best for the group. You've got the better ideas, and if you don't take charge, this thing's going to end in a train wreck. Somebody's got to be the leader, right? That's what you're thinking. That's what you always think. <laughs> and then there's the other group, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like to say, hey, I'd actually like to go to this restaurant, or I'd actually like to listen to this artist, or I'd actually like to watch this movie, because you don't ever assert yourself, because why? Because it feels like death to you to risk somebody shooting down your idea. It feels like death to risk being felt invisible again. So you just kind of stay in the background and you don't make any waves and you don't assert and you don't speak up because it's just easier that way. That's what gives you life. It feels like death to some of you to keep quiet. You always have the right idea. You always know what to do. You always know the right thing to do. You, it, the idea of of sitting with somebody who's struggling, who's, who's, who's suffering, and you're listening to their pain, you're listening to their account of what's wrong and what's going, what's going on and how they can't fix it, for you to just sit and listen feels like death. I know what you need to do. I've got, if you would just do this, then everything would be better. I'll, I've got your problem solved. I've got your thing figured out. It just feels like death to you to sit and listen and not fix it because it's so uncomfortable to just deal with that tension. And then, of course, there's others that it just feels like death to say anything and to share your opinion or offer some instruction because you don't want to sound stupid. You don't want to be rejected. You know, what feels like death to one person feels like life to another. What feels like life to one person feels like death to another. So this is a very subjective question. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit speaking to each one of us. What's the path that leads through the sea that Jesus is inviting you to follow him on? We, we live in this um, culture that's very Western, very affluent, and sometimes it can feel like death to us to acknowledge that we have these biases, we, we have these preferences, we have a blindness, you know, I'm going, kind of going back to the the, the, the mini-sub, the Titan. Like, we're fascinated by the Titanic. We're fascinated by the fate of these, you know, uber-rich people and their fate that, that they underwent. But how many of us are aware that four days prior to the, the implosion of the Titan, four days prior in the Mediterranean um, Ocean, there was a fishing boat that left Libya carrying about 600 immigrants who each spent about $5,000 each just for the chance to get to freedom. And that fishing boat sank off the coast of Greece. And over estimates are, they haven't even recovered all the bodies. Over 500 men and women and children died four days before the Titan imploded. We don't get that on our newsfeed. 
That's not a part of our Western algorithm. That's not a part of our affluent algorithm. And it feels like death sometimes to admit, yeah, I've got biases, I've got blindness. I don't see everything the way I need to or the way that would be helpful for me to actively be loving my neighbor and be mindful of the world and the struggles that people are enduring. And it feels like death to some of us sometimes to just you know, be identified as a Christian, like for, for you to take that risk with a coworker, with a neighbor and say something or introduce Jesus into a conversation because you don't want to appear foolish. You don't want to appear, you know, or be identified as one of those freaks. And so you kind of stay undercover, stay the anonymous Christian if there is really such a thing. And there's all kinds of things that feel like death to us, you know, sacrificing our time or our money because that's so precious to us. And I don't want to give that a west up and or I don't want to offer forgiveness because then I'm releasing control over this person. You know, If I can hold over their sin over them, how they failed and how they made a mistake, I get control. So again, there's all kinds of things that feel like death to us. And the Holy Spirit's inviting us. There's another path. There's another way that leads to life, but it's going to mean you die to self. You go through the sea. You go through what you know, feels like, oh my goodness, God's gonna, there's going to be judgment. There's gonna, it's going to be awful, but you have to rely on your good shepherd to see you safely through, to know that he is with us and will preserve us and will care for us. Psalm 23 ends after the valley of the shadow of death. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And another one of those accounts of the Red Sea, not, not Nehemiah, but this time Isaiah, celebrates God's deliverance. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing? Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what's on the other side. That's the destination. But you have to go through the way that goes through the sea. We have to take you know, this path that we've been, um, that Jesus is extending before us. You know, Andy Crouch wrote a book called Strong and Weak, and he talks about um, the, the necessity for us who are following Jesus to, to embrace our vulnerability and to have healthy kinds of authority. And he talks about how after we have borne our hidden vulnerability, even after we've descended to the dead, after we have been rescued from our suffering, our withdrawing, our exploiting, we will be raised up, restored to our rightful place, and we will laugh. That's what the hope of resurrection promises us. We will laugh. So God's way is holy, and paradoxically, it can lead, his way can lead through the sea, and it feels like death to us, but it's just another way of describing the way of the cross, what it looks like to follow Jesus, our, our, our good shepherd. And but there, there's something interesting about what happened to Peter and James and John. Uh, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, uh, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
Jesus is contemplating this cup, this, this dreadful spice that he's got to drink. And he shudders. He trembles. The one who made the earth and the sea and the stars, the, the sea that trembles before him, the earth that trembles before him, here's Jesus in Gethsemane trembling and hunched over praying, agonizing over you know, this dreadful spice that he's got to drink to the dregs, and he's going, I don't know if I can do this. Is there another way? And we go, what is, who, what's going on? Why is Jesus flinching? Because all of, our, um, all of our heroes, whether they're fictional heroes or historical heroes or whatever, they, they seem to face their fate with courage and even with sort of this machismo, this sort of stoicism and and, and, and they resign themselves, right? Um, Aragorn resigns himself. I'm going to take the paths of the dead. Oh, no, Aragorn, don't do it. Don't go. Yes, I must go to rescue Middle Earth, right? And you get, um, well, Dumbledore, you know, in the clock tower. And, it, and he, he climaxed to the, the whole way of exposing all the Death Eaters. And, and he, he, he's got this prearranged thing with Snape. And he tells Snape, who's about to kill him with the, you know, the, the, the curse or whatever, and he looks at Snape and he says, please. Accepting his fate, completely dispassionate. Accepting his fate. And we read about people like Socrates. Drinking his hemlock like a cognac. And here's Jesus, scared to death. Why? Some of you know um, some books called like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, Jock Purvis wrote a book called Fair Sunshine about the Scottish Covenanters. Uh, there's a biography of Christopher Love. These are some names uh, and some, some uh, individuals who went to their death because of their testimony, who died as martyrs because they believed in Jesus and wouldn't recant. Um, Christopher Love uh, died on Tower Hill uh, in London. Uh, he was beheaded because of his faith in Christ in 1651. He was imprisoned in the Tower of London. He would correspond with his wife who had some of his kids, and she was pregnant with his child. And, and their letters are beautiful, you know, full of faith, full of trust in the Lord, full of love for one another, tenderness toward each other. And Christopher's wife, Mary, wanted to bring him dinner, a last supper. And Christopher's just, I think he just doesn't want to put his wife out, you know, and he writes to her, or the account goes, after some further discourses, he wished his wife not to trouble herself to send his dinner the next day. He said, um, desiring him to eat something that should be sent him, he said, and then I shall do it to please, to please thee. Because he, he knows that she just wants to show him love, and he wants to receive her love, even though he doesn't need anything to eat. I shall need no dinner, for within a few hours 
I shall have a blessed supper, the supper of the bridegroom, where I shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and know hunger and thirst and sorrow no more. I hope I've got that kind of faith when that day comes. I think we all would aspire to that kind of peace, that kind of hope, joy even. So what's going on with Jesus? Where's his faith? Where's his hope? Where's his experience of joy? As he's begging his father, is there another cup? Why? Because that's the cup you and I will never have to drink. Because he descended into hell. Because that cup represents the, the wrath of God, the righteous anger for sin, all the ways that we hurt each other and wound each other and, and do disservice to one another individually, culturally, politically, you, know, you name it. All the things that get us mad. <laughs> How much more does the holy God get righteously upset about all that's broken and twisted in this world? And when Jesus took that cup, he took our judgment. He took our curse on himself. He, he took the alienation. He took the separation. He took the darkness in the place of those who would trust in him. And that means that you and I don't have to fear that cup. We don't have to drink that cup. We go immediately into the presence of beauty and of light and of love forever. But Jesus descended into hell. That was his path, um, and his path meant self-denial. His path meant he couldn't preserve your faith self, and that means your sin and my sin is removed from us, and God doesn't look at us with our sin anymore. He looks at us with the righteousness of Jesus, and so if your faith is not in him yet, it needs to be. Uh, if your faith is not in him yet, he extends his invitation to you, come, come to me. And I'll give you rest, and I'll give you joy, and I'll give you that peace, and I will drink that cup for you. And then as we follow him, he leads us not in order to earn salvation, but to demonstrate we're new creations, we've passed from death to life, therefore he's equipping us and conforming us to live lives now that will more and more conform to the life that we'll have in eternity without sin, uh, without burden, without blame, without guilt, without shame. And that means this side of heaven, we start laying things down. We start taking things off that were sinful, that were shameful, that were the old you and the old me. And that feels like death to us sometimes. We're so accustomed to that pattern of behaving. We're so accustomed to that comfort. We're so accustomed to you fill in the blank that we relied on instead of Jesus for that salvation, for that comfort, for that goodness, for that love. And Jesus says, you don't need that anymore. Not, not for the path that, that I'm leading you on. You and I can take the path that leads to the sea and this path that sometimes feels like death because Jesus has guaranteed us life on the other side. I'm sure that everybody here today, I really don't doubt that every single person here today has some path 
that leads to the sea. Some way that feels like death, and the Holy Spirit's doing this and has been doing this to you for weeks, if not months, maybe even years. Hey, it's time. It's time to take the path. You've been, you've been putting it off, you've been putting it off, and God, you know, in His Spirit, is gently and patiently and consistently saying, hey, we need to look at this, don't we? And then you go, now let's see over here. And he says, but, but let's come back over here. And let's talk about this. Now I want to go. And he, he, he keeps coming, bringing you back. And that's the path you got to take. But can I promise you that resurrection's on the other side of that? Freedom uh, from, from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from pain, the pain that you inflict on yourself, the pain you inflict on others, that's what our sin does. And that's the resurrection on the other side of that dying to self, dying to sin. What are maybe other paths here that God is calling you to, to take that feels like death? This way through the sea might be a very hard and painful conversation you've been putting off. You don't know how it's going to go. It's very risky. It's, you know, the stakes are high. I get it. I really do. And I, I can't promise you you know, on this, in this world you know, uh, that things are going to be better, but it might. You might experience resurrection. You might experience restoration in that relationship. What I can promise you is that you can be faithful to be an agent of grace and truth in that relationship, to say something that that person may need to hear that might make a difference in their life and certainly can make a difference in your relationship. Some of you are, are wondering about that path that feels like death at work, that path that feels like death um, in, in, in your family, that path that feels like death even you know, here in, in church. Maybe it's a new responsibility, maybe it's a new role, maybe it's some, something that you've been saying, I don't feel like I, I really am equipped for that because you're afraid of failing. But who knows what resurrection looks like? You could be a tremendous, you know, um, you've been coming to church for years. Uh, people identify you as, you as a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, but you know uh, in your heart of hearts you really haven't called him Savior and Lord yet. And that path feels like death because you have to give up your independence. You can't call the shots and be a disciple. You have to give up that sin. You have to give up you know, whatever it is you're holding on to that keeps Jesus at arm's length from you. You're the, only one, you're the only person that knows he's at arm's length from you. And it feels like death to let that arm down and let him in. But there's life there. There's life to finally submit. There's life to finally say, okay, your way, not my way. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, not mine. There's life there. So how do we get to get on this path? Well, we have to remember who's leading us, and it's Jesus. He's our good shepherd. He's greater than... Moses and Aaron, verse 20 of Psalm 77 says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And now someone greater than Moses and Aaron is our shepherd. And he's the one who took that cup so that you and I would never have to fear God's curse. We would never have to fear God's rejection. We would never have to fear you know, God's sentence for our sin. It's forgiven. It's removed as far as the east is from the west. It's thrown into the deepest ocean so that we can walk through that path. Is there a way that he is leading you that goes through the sea? You can trust him. I want to leave you with um, another pastor's worst church who was going through some difficulty, who was experiencing some fear um, and some 
some struggle, and he says to her, when you discover, or says, what you discover is that there is no permanent joy in Christ apart from a willingness to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That is, your, your life cannot have power in it or even salvation if you refuse to be like a grain of wheat that must fall to the ground and die in order to bring forth much fruit. Fruitfulness comes as we die to self and our fears rise and, and, and die to ourself in fears and rise from the dead. Your life, your life must have a death in it if it is to go anywhere. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for you to uh, remind us of your death on our behalf, that we would have sin and over Satan and over, uh, the, the new life that awaits us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we take this path that leads through the sea. Uh, Lord, I don't want to um, dismi be dismissive of anybody's great fear. Uh, you know their fear, and you know what fear feels like. So, Lord, would you be our good shepherd? Would you be our sympathetic high priest? And would you lead us in a path that is difficult so that we might know uh, the, the, the fruit and the joy of resurrection? We ask in Jesus' name.